beautiful people. Happy Monday. Happy 4th. Happy day. I have to say, now that I've done this for a hot minute, I have really, really enjoyed it. I, it's been really fun to hear, you know, feedback from clients and friends and family. And one of the feedback pieces that I've gotten is that I sound pretty serious and intense for a podcast called Not That Serious. <laughs> and I thought that was awesome. She's totally 100% right. So I want to give you a brief explanation. <laughs> Let me make it clear. I am 100% serious that health is something every single person needs to be considering. It's on the back burner for so many people and caring about your health can literally save your life and it can be the difference between meeting your grandkids or not. Like that's not something I take lightly. However, (laughs) the intensity that I bring to certain topics are more so to counteract the intensity of the nutrition brigade that is screamed about you know, keto and paleo and fasting or whatever other diet and kind of saying that one way is the only way to do things. And it doesn't really matter what corner they're in. Their job is to convince you that it is the only way. And if you don't do it their way, there's no other way to do it. When people are really desperate to make a change and you hear that something is the only way, I mean, of course you're going to buy in. Then if that way doesn't happen to be the right way for that person, They assume that they're never going to be able to reach their goals because that's what they were told. You know, let me, I'll just give you an example, right? So I start most of my clients on tracking macros. I think it's an incredible tool and it helps you really learn about the food that you're eating. And, you know, every time you eat, you're being educated on everything that you are putting in your mouth. It's a great tool but it's not for everybody. And it's definitely not forever for everybody. Some people, it will be completely wrong right from the beginning. Say that I had some vested interest in tracking macros, right? I wrote a book on it or I invented some magic macro thing and I'm trying to sell it. My prerogative is no longer to find the correct approach. My prerogative then becomes that I have to convince every single person that this is the best and the only way to do things, right? So I hope you can kind of see where this is going. Now, here comes me. (laughs) My income is dependent on getting results, not on really a certain method of doing it. And especially from a monetary standpoint, if I can find the correct approach for a person and adjust as we go, I'm going to make a lot more money off that person in the long term, right? Because they're going to stay my client because what we're doing is working. So my monetary vested interest is in getting results. But who is going to get more attention? Me or the screaming Jack dude who took out a TV ad? The answer is fucking me, all right? Because not only will I yell louder, but I'll also yell about shit that isn't some biased rendition of some fad diet that I'm trying to sell. That is kind of where I'm coming from. That's why I bring so much intensity to this. I don't want to ever be the person that is telling you that if you don't do it my way, you're never going to get it done, whatever it may be. That is where my intensity comes from. If I can convince you that there's a lot of different ways to get the result you want, then I'm good, right? And you'll be open to trying other things. You'll, if something doesn't work, you'll be more likely to keep going rather than just give up. So that's it. That's my explanation. I'm going to stop explaining myself because I don't need to. (laughs) So I want to get into your gut, your gut health, why you might feel like garbage all the time. First, let's start with just a quick explanation. 
Then I'll give you some solid tips to get you going. And then we'll go into some more specific foods that you can add into your diet that can help your gut overall. Your gut, when I say that, I'm inferring to your gastrointestinal tract. That's it. Your gut contains about a hundred trillion or so microorganisms. And those organisms themselves, even though they're literally like microbes, they weigh about three pounds in total to give you an idea of how many there are. These microorganisms are the bacteria that live in your gut and they aid in food breakdown and keeping your internal ecosystem balanced. They're going to make sure that we're maintaining a homeostasis and all machines are running together smoothly. Your gut is responsible for everything. They call it the brain of the body for this reason. So your mood, your immune system, your mental clarity, your digestion, your brain fog, all of these, if you're feeling a downside of them, there's a really good possibility it's leading back to your gut health or your lack thereof. Within the gut, when we talk about these microorganisms, and I will say bacteria, within the gut, when we talk about these microorganisms, we mean bacteria, we mean viruses, we mean fungi, and just a bunch of other microscopic living things. You'll commonly hear them referred to as your gut bacteria as sort of an umbrella term without differentiating. So keep that in mind, but you can also throw this into a conversation and you know, you'll just feel better than everyone there if you know how that breaks down. <laughs> Each microbe in the human gut, it plays a different role in your body. And most of these microbes play a certain role in your overall health, but they all kind of have to be functioning in order for you to feel your best overall. You can almost think of all of these microbes as an extra organ in your body. Altogether, the goal is to have a healthy gut and that healthy bacteria and immune cells, and they are all going to communicate with your brain to help maintain your general health, your well-being, all of that good stuff. The goal of gut health overall, when you hear that term, is really just to promote the growth of more beneficial bacteria and stunt the growth of the less beneficial bacteria because you have both. The first and most probably common tip that you'll hear is to take a probiotic. Good probiotics will probably have to be refrigerated and a lot of them will have numbers in the billions, not millions, and you'll see that right on the label. When you're taking a probiotic, you do have to have a certain level of quality control. It's not one of those supplements that you can kind of buy any given brand or whatever because it's probably not going to do too much for you. You have to keep in mind that these are living things. So, you know, when you buy yogurt and it says live and active cultures, that's what we're looking for within a probiotic. And in order to keep those alive, oftentimes that means they're refrigerated, you may have to spend a little bit more on them. There's an entire refrigerated supplement section at Whole Foods. And yes, it's going to be a little bit pricier, but you're also going to be more likely taking something that will actually benefit you. And that's kind of worth the money right there. With that, there's other things that we have to be doing in order to really give our gut the best chance of being as healthy as possible. The first thing is slow down when you're eating. Oh my God, I am so incredibly guilty of this. I eat like it is my last meal on earth sometimes. It's usually a product of that I've been at work and I forgot to pack like a certain meal and I'm starving by the time I get to it and I'll just eat so fast. Of course, like common sense will tell you without knowing anything that that's not the best thing to do. If you can slow down your eating 
really focus on chewing your food. A certain number of times can really help because you're being mindful of it. The number itself isn't as important. Maybe you try to chew your food at least 15 times before you swallow it. If you're focusing on that number, you're automatically going to be being more mindful overall. When we break down our food a little bit better, our digestion goes better and our body can pull more from the food that we're eating to, you know, distribute it. And those nutrients and macros and all of that will go to the right places rather than your body trying to break down a barely chewed bite of steak and you don't get anything from that because your body literally can't do that work for you. With that, another classic, but is super important to your gut specifically is being hydrated. And Room temperature or warm water is great for gut health. I love that. If you can do that, especially in the morning, some warm water, some lemon, some sea salt, awesome. However, if you are someone that struggles with drinking water in general, I don't necessarily recommend now having temperature requirements. It's probably just going to make it way harder than it needs to be. So kind of put the temperature on the back burner until you get a really solid regimen of just sipping water throughout the day. And if you are a person that never gets thirsty, you should set some sort of hydration target. If you are a person that tends to do really well drinking water, this is something you can add in to even give yourself a little bit more of a boost. Then with that, this is a big one. Avoiding excess sugar. When you think of your good gut bacteria and your bad gut bacteria, In a very broken down, simplified way, think of your bad bacteria using sugar as food, right? The more sugar you eat, the more goes to feed that bad bacteria, the more that bad bacteria can expand and multiply and kind of take shit over. What we want to do is avoid sugar in excess. It doesn't mean you have to have no sugar. It doesn't mean that you have to cut out fruit. It doesn't mean any of that. Do not go and stop eating blueberries because you listen to this podcast. I will come after you. I have never once seen someone tank their health because of fruit. So don't start with me. Other than that, excess sugar is just excess. It's excessive, right? You with common sense know if you're eating excess sugar. If you are eating 10 cookies, you're eating excess sugar. Don't make it that serious. Just kind of keep it in mind. It's one of those things that you're like, "Eh, I ate a little bit too much sugar yesterday. I'm going to dial it back in. Oh, I want a treat. I haven't had one in a while. I'm going to have it. Moderation, people. Moderate. So this next one is you have to take it with a grain of salt because for some people, this benefit does not outweigh the risk. So not eating if you're not hungry. If you are a person that has very low appetite, you're on medication that suppresses your appetite, you are severely underweight, something like that, this is something you have to ignore for the greater good, and there's nothing wrong with that. You may be a person that has to eat when you're not hungry because of a certain circumstance, and I am not kind of going to go against that. However, if you have generally normal circumstances, like we assume for everything I say on here, you don't want to be overloading your body. And that means if you are full from dinner, you already had a normal treat after, you probably don't need six more. And we all do it occasionally. It's not the end of the world. But if this is something that becomes a habit, we should figure out the strategies to dial that in a little bit. And this next one hurts my soul. It hurts everything. So listen, for this next one, I wake up at four in the goddamn morning. That is when I go to work, okay? I open the gym. It is still dark out, all right? In the winter, it stays dark until my shift is almost over. However, 
I have had to, at certain points, dial back my caffeine. And caffeine is one of those things that can really mess with your pH levels and your gut flora. So how do you tackle this, right? Generally, if you're someone that you identify as someone that is just drinking coffee throughout the day, or you're just slamming energy drinks all day, you kind of know when your caffeine intake gets excessive. It's fairly obvious, right? So this is not the person that has one coffee in the morning, like one eight ounce cup, and they just their soul just carries them through the day. No, this is for people like me, who they wake up, they can slam a coffee, and they can slam four more throughout the day if they're not careful. Cutting caffeine and kind of resetting yourself is a massive indicator of if everything is going well. If you can cut caffeine and you know you have a little bit of a headache because you're used to it, but you can get through your day, you're totally fine, that's fine. That's good. That's what we're looking for. However, <laughs> if you're someone that I tell you to cut out caffeine for a week and that sounds like you would legitimately die or possibly lose your job or lose custody of your children because you can't get off the couch, then maybe we want to rethink, okay? And it doesn't mean you have to cut it out altogether, but even reducing it a little bit can make a big difference. And with that kind of comes managing your stress. And I've gone over this. I'll go over it a million times more. If your stress is not managed, everything goes haywire. So you cannot just go through your life just bullheading stress and hoping that at some point life gets simpler because it's not going to. It's always something, right? And I know that's kind of a shitty outlook, but I do really think that it's very hard to actually get ahead. Most of us are sort of, you know, on to the next. When we finish one problem and we address that, you know, something else pops up in life. And that's just the way it is. And as humans, we'll literally create problems if there's not enough of them. It's kind of just our nature. So rather than waiting for that not to happen, we have to address it while it is. And that could be journaling. That could be meditating. If you're like me, meditating stresses you out, go on long walks without your phone. You have to find something. And if you can't find anything, yikes, maybe go to therapy. Let's talk about the specific food that you can add and it'll just kind of give you a direction, especially next time you go to the grocery store, you're like, this is all fine and good, but what foods actually help with this? This is your kind of starter list. The first one that's really big for gut health is bone broth. And I've actually seen some conflicting arguments on this. From what I've seen, though, it's full of collagen. It's full of amino acids. It's a really good choice if you're trying to get started. You can make it or you can buy it. I really like the Kettle and Fire from Whole Foods. It's simple. It has doesn't have a bunch of crazy ingredients. They also have it frozen. And I like it. I put it in everything that I can. So I'll cook my rice in it. I'll put it in my veggies. I'll put like cook my steak in it. There's a lot of things that you can do. And honestly, I've had a lot of clients that really struggle hitting their protein goals. They'll just drink it or have it as soup or whatever. It's super simple. And it's one of those things that it's not a crazy overpowering taste or anything like that. So it's pretty easy to add in. With that, I love anti-inflammatory foods, but not in the sense of you should be fighting every ounce of inflammation in your body. Inflammation is a normal response in the short term. What we don't want to see is a long-term inflammation, and we can go into that another time. But for anti-inflammatory foods, the turmeric latte trend is kind of out there for a reason. It's really good to be adding these things that will take down our inflammation if you have, you know, conditions that are caused specifically by inflammation. 
I've heard, but haven't seen them, so don't quote me on this, a study saying it really helps stroke risk, it helps skin conditions, all of those things. So something like that is great to add in. Then we have our fermented foods. So sauerkraut, kefir, kimchi, or kombucha, all of those things are phenomenal for your gut health. However, don't add them in all at once. Like don't go out and buy every single one of those things and have them at every single meal because you're not going to have fun. It's a lot on your digestion. It is supportive. However, anything in excess is not going to be good. So kind of add it in gradually. One or two things a day is awesome. I try to get at least one fermented food in a day and that works great for me. And then I recently learned how easy it is to make your own kombucha and things like that. So Go ahead, look that up. You can order what you need off literally like Amazon. And I believe you can use it forever. You don't ever have to buy the thing that you put in to ferment it ever again. I'm blanking on what it's called, but quick Google search. I can't do all the work for you, okay? So next up, we have prebiotics. So these are what feeds the good bacteria. So we we talked about the sugar feeding the bad bacteria in your gut. Your prebiotics feed the good bacteria that's already there and, again, allows them to thrive. Sweet potato, onion, garlic, all of those things, phenomenal to add in. Then we're going to start looking at reactions to food. So ensuring you're not reactive to anything, you know, gluten, dairy, things like that. Also, don't just cut these things out without experimenting. When you do an elimination diet, eliminate one thing at a time unless you are hella compliant. Because if you eliminate everything at once and you have to slowly add one at a time back in for weeks and weeks on end, that could end up being, depending on how many things you eliminate, like a six-month diet. And that's a long time to be nearly perfect. And unfortunately, when we do an elimination diet to see if we're reactive to something, there's not really room for cheating. If you accidentally have something with dairy in it, it's kind of shot. There's no, oh, well, it wasn't that much. When you're looking for your body's reactions, it's very different than, you know, dieting for the long term or lifestyle or a sport. I recommend take it slow, take your best guess, eliminate one thing at a time, 30 to 40 days, add it back in extremely slowly and take a lot of notes. Then we're also going to want to add in polyphenols and fiber. So polyphenols are in things like cloves, cocoa, um, dark chocolate, (laughs) ground flaxseed. You can find them in a lot of herbs and spices like oregano, rosemary, sage, thyme, basil. Uh, They're in strawberries, nuts, olives, coffee, everything like that. So they're everywhere, but they're really, really great to add in. With that, fiber and veggies Fiber is phenomenal. So fiber is only found in plants. It's a plant product. So it's made of mostly the cell wall of the plant itself. And it's really good because your body can't actually fully break it down. So it's great to keep everything moving, great to keep your digestion going, which is going to support your gut. So generally, that's the overview of your gut. However, if we're doing things that are good for our health, we're supporting our gut. If we're doing things that are not so good for our health, we're generally not supporting our gut. These are just some specific things that you might be able to pinpoint. There's a lot of gut health information right now. It's definitely trendy. So there's plenty to look through. However, some simple changes are probably going to be your best bet. And if you find that your gut is really reactive, then you may need to go see a doctor that specializes in these things because there are a lot of conditions that your gut can contribute to and you don't want to be suffering for no reason. 
So again, thank you for listening to this today. If you could share it, if you could write a review, I would love it. If you can even just tap the five star button, I would love you for that. Otherwise, have a wonderful rest of your week. And next week, I have an amazing guest on for the first time. So stay tuned for that. And I will see you next time, guys. Bye. (laughs) 